I'm Jen Schrader, and this is Behind the Springs, conversations with the people working for you in Colorado Springs, Olympic City, USA. If you love Colorado Springs, and you better if you're listening to this podcast, but you probably also love our parks and open spaces. It's a big part of the reason people love to live here and visit our city. And right now we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of our Trails Open Space and Parks program. We call it TOPS for short. And TOPS is a voter-approved city sales tax program that works to protect and preserve all the beautiful and treasured places across the city. So since 1997, it has preserved nearly 7,500 acres of open space. So some examples of that, Ute Valley Park, Blodgett Open Space, Red Rock Canyon, super long list of all the places um, that you likely know and love. And I have a special guest today who's going to talk to us about the importance of preservation and stewardship when it comes to those properties. It's part of our um, celebration this year of our of that just incredible park system. So Anna Cordova is our city's first archaeologist, and her work is focused on all the things I just spoke about and much more. It's just one of the most interesting positions in the city also, according to me personally. That's my personal opinion. But Anna, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So this city archaeologist position was created, am I correct, in 2016? Yes. Okay. And so tell us about what you know, why, what, why it was created and then what your job is like. I know it's different every day, but, um, a little bit about how you came to be in that role. Yeah. Um, I think a big catalyst for why the position was created was because we had all those fires and flooding in 2012 and 2013, uh, which triggered a lot of federal grants and things like that, um, for mitigation for especially flooding and all that kind of thing. Um, same with like the what they do with the forest mitigation, like you know all that kind of stuff. So, um, and we're still we still very much are getting those types of grants and things. So anytime there's a federal nexus involved with a project like that, so any federal agency involved in like uh, the grants or property or things like that, um, it triggers for archaeologists the NEPA process. So. Um, what is NEPA? That, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, what is NEPA? <laughs> um, it's part of the section, section 106, which is the environmental review process that happens. Okay. Um, so the National Environmental Protection Agency kind of stuff that happens. So when you need to um, do any sort of big project, you know, the environmental review that comes along with right. that, archaeology and cultural preservation is part of that. Okay. Um, so, and we hear a lot about that these days, environmental reviews. We do. And sometimes right. it postpones projects and people say, what's taking so long? And a lot yeah. of times it's that review process, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of times it doesn't postpone it, but sometimes, yes, it does. So, yeah. But it's um, important. Right. And we've got some examples of some of those that have happened recently in the city. Um, but as part of the archaeology portion of that, it requires... Um, a full like pedestrian survey. So we'll go out and walk whatever corridor is affected in the project area, um, looking for artifacts on the ground and evidence of archaeological sites. Um, the same could apply to other cultural and historic features like buildings or bridges or historic roads and things like that. Um, so all those resources are recorded and then kind of ranked um, as far as whether we need to preserve them, if they're going to teach us something new about the past, or say uh, they're associated with someone significant in um, local history or national history. Um, if they're associated with that, then we need to do some mitigation to study it if we can't avoid the sites after that. Um, 
And so but, you're there to make that determination. Right. Right. Okay. Um, along with, you know, a few other federal um, things. So we often contract out work because I'm the only archaeologist. And so I can't take on huge projects like, you know, large surveys or excavations or things on my own. Right. So we contract that out to cultural resource management agencies. Um, and then we also uh, work with like the, if there's a federal, if the federal agency has an archaeologist, um, we work with them as well. Um, that triggers tribal consultation. So there are 49 different tribes uh, that have ties to Colorado that uh, we are required to consult with when there's that federal nexus involved. Um, and then we work with the State Historic Preservation Office um, and the State Archaeologist Office to, they are actually the ones that really make the determination of whether we need to mitigate the site, uh, avoid it, uh, you know, whatever needs to be done, or if we can just move on, you know, say like, mm-hmm. There's just a historic trash scatter that's from, say, the 1920s, and it's not going to teach us anything new about the past. We don't, we, we note it, we take, you know, we record the site and all those things, but we don't necessarily uh, need to save it forever. So. so how did you come to be the city archaeologist? Have you always wanted to be an archaeologist, or what's your story? That's a good question. Um, people ask me that a lot, and I think... Like, were you digging for things when you were a child <laughs> in the sandbox? How did it all start? No, right. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, th- I remember even as a small kid, like, you know, probably in, in like second grade, we were learning about the Revolutionary War and I just ate it up. I loved it. I loved, loved history. everything to do with the past. Yes. Um, and as I got older, you know, uh, middle school and high school, that's the types of books I read. Um, my parents, you know, I'd beg them to take me to like ghost towns and, you know, mining towns and stuff like that. I think my mom was actually probably the biggest catalyst for really encouraging that love of history. Um, she, I, you know, she would take us to like old cemeteries and we'd have lunch there and just walk around and look at the gravestones and stuff and stuff. It was just fascinating to me, mm-hmm. even as, you know, a small kid. So um, I didn't know that an archaeologist was something that you could be outside of like, you know, Egypt or something like that. Right. <laughs> Um, until I was, most people don't. Right. Yeah. yeah. And people were always telling me you should be a historian. You know, that's what you should go to school for. And when I was in about 11th grade, my mom actually was telling me that she had wanted to go to school at Colorado college, um, for archeology. span And I was like, you can do that. And so, um, started looking into more programs cause that's about the age that you do that type of thing. Um, and so I looked around at a few schools and eventually chose UCCS cause it was local. They looked like they had a good anthropology, archaeology program. And and so you've grown up here in Colorado, right? right. Yes. I've grown up here yep. in Colorado Springs. Um, okay. And so, yeah, I started, what, school, UCCS at 19, was taking archaeology, like high level, junior and senior level classes as a freshman. I was just ready. That's what I wanted to do. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. Did my first dig actually at Jimmy Camp, one of our park properties that now I do a lot of archaeology at. Um, did my first dig there when I was 19 years old and haven't done anything else. And you were hooked. Yep. Yeah. So one of the, one of the ways that you and I got to know each other was, uh, when we first met was the city was going to build a detention pond at Garden of the Gods. And so as they were preparing the project, and this is kind of what you talked about before, um, you made the discovery that the land was actually had a lot of trash from General Palmer's estate. Um, and those of you who don't know, General Palmer is our city's founder. And so there was a lot of digging to do before the project could even begin. So that was one of those instances where you said, hold on, this project has to stop for a while. And then, um, 
So tell us about that particular project and, and how that's an example of why your role is important, why we need to protect our land and take care of our land. And that's, that's, it goes a little bit deeper than just picking up trash on your hike and, you know, in terms right. of what you do at the city. Oh yeah. Um, the Palmer project, that's a big, it's a big long, one. fun story. Yeah. Um, that actually was triggered because of the fires and flooding, particularly the flooding. Um, From Waldo Canyon. Right. right. So the, the site is located at the very northeast corner of Garden of the Gods Park. Um, General Palmer lived in his castle in Glen Erie Canyon, um, which is just north of, of Garden of the Gods Park. Um, so before I had become the city archaeologist, um, we didn't have one. And uh, it had been contracted out by a cultural resource management um, company to come in and survey the Camp Creek corridor um, to see what kind of sites they saw. So um, they did that, but they, they, because of the way the vegetation and things were growing on this, these two, there's actually two sites that are associated with Palmer's trash. Um, they couldn't see much of the artifacts that were actually ended up being there. They saw a small artifact scatter Thought it was probably turn of the century, um, considered it an ineligible site, which means it's not eligible for the National Register of Historic Places, meaning that it's not associated with a significant person uh, or architecture or, you know, event. Um, and it's not going to necessarily teach us anything new about the past. And so we could just move on and build a detention pond and put drop structures along the creek. And, and that was the plan. Yeah. Right. And so okay. that was the plan. Um, and then you came along. And then I came along. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little intimidating, right? I had only been um, with the city for about three months. Okay. When I found it and then had to let people know, like, okay, hold on. This giant, you know, project that you guys have going on, we might need to delay postpone it a little. Yeah. Bit. So, and, and people listening might say, so you found a bunch of trash. What right. is the big deal with trash? But trash is actually very significant in it your is. world. Oh, yeah. So uh, when I teach classes or, or do anything like that, I always... Um, have students go home, put one piece of paper by any trash can in their house, um, and they write down what they threw away for that week. They come back with no identifying information other than the tra the list of trash. They swap papers, and then they need to tell me. Um, then they have to kind of just do a write-up of what they can tell about that person in that household based on that list of trash. So... Uh, you know, can you tell me what room you're in? Are you in the kitchen? Is there a lot of food wrappers and things like that? Can you tell me maybe uh, socioeconomic status? Um, what kind of products? About, right. What, like, yeah. what any, like, are there specific food preferences? You know, do they really like ketchup? You know, um, can you tell me anything about age? Say there's diapers in the trash or like, you know, denture cream or, you know. Right. Um, so you can tell a lot. Right. You can say, you know, even about like the health of the person. Like, you know, do they have, do they wear contacts? Um you know, looking at their receipts, like where are they buying most of their products from? You know, different things like that. You can really say a lot about uh, a person in their daily life based on their trash. And so archaeology is one of those things that really helps us, especially when we are able to combine it with historic records and oral history and things like that. We're able to really tell a lot about specific places and events in the past. So when you find General Palmer's trash, it's like... Yeah. Exciting. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of that is on display at the Colorado Springs Pioneers Museum. So right. people can go check it out and learn what you all have learned from discovering it. Right. Um, and, and that's exactly what we've done, where we've combined it with um, artifacts and things that his family have donated to the museum. And then historic, uh, like you know, written records that, that Palmer himself wrote, that people wrote about him. 
Um, and then, yeah, things that we were finding in his trash. Uh, like we know he really liked Worcestershire sauce. Um, Good to know. <laughs> you know, one of the first things I noticed on site That's was so funny. that really triggered me to really think of Palmer. One, it's context where we're at. We're right outside the mouth of the canyon. You're not probably burning your trash, which is what they would have done in the canyon. You don't want to smoke yourself out. Um, but uh, also just things like, you know, what is, what is he, what kind of money does this person have? People... Um, didn't have electricity necessarily in Colorado Springs at the time of the, the dates that where I was finding on like light bulb fragments and things like that. Um, he had satin enamel bricks. Like we had a brick making factory in Colorado Springs and in Pueblo. And we found both of those types, but we were also finding these really fancy, expensive, probably bricks. They were this shiny white coat on them. They were from Chicago. So, you know, who has money to do that? And who, you know, has the money to throw around to just ship, fancy bricks from Chicago. And so you're able to say it's Palmer, right? Right. It was pretty easy to connect it to Palmer. Right. Right. Okay. So let's move on to, um, tops and this sales tax. So, uh, for people who don't know what you're paying, it's one penny for every $10 purchase is dedicated to trails, parks, and open space. And this money has led to the city's purchase and preservation of many of of our favorite spots, like the ones that Anna and I are talking about. So, Let's talk about that commitment to preservation and which has in part led to the creation of your role. So do you believe that there's a little more awareness these days about stewardship? I mean, um, and also the tribal connection and just different things like that or, um, and what can people do to become more aware? Right now, I think it's um, much more, I think there's been a shift, especially in the city um, of becoming more like, we're acquiring the new, these new properties, but, you know, we need to take care of them as well. And we need to look at the resources that they have. And, you know, even in archaeology, they, the artifacts don't belong to me just because I'm an archaeologist. Um, they're for, you know, future generations. And, and especially if it's like Native American things, then they, they belong to the descendants of those who left them um, and their future descendants. So um, I think stewardship, especially, you know, it's not just in archaeology, especially with the TOPS program, um, you know, many of our park rangers are, that's a big focus of theirs too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think stewardship is a, is a big deal. And I think, you know, everyday people who use the parks are becoming a lot more aware of those types of issues and, and how we go about using them and, you know, not loving our parks to death. Right. Um, and really simple things like staying on the trail and right, yeah. picking up your trash. Yeah. And it seems small, but um, when everyone does it, it adds up. Exactly. And then we're, then we try to reverse the trend of loving them to death, as a lot of people have said. Right. Yeah. And so um, can you, this is a really hard question, but can you, no, it's not, but (laughs) you know, you've been here all your life and I know you enjoy being outdoors with your family as well. Do you have a favorite spot or a couple of favorite trails or like, you know, any, I need some insider tips from you. (laughs) No. (laughs) What, what, where do you like to recreate and be with your family and be outside or do you go all over the place? I think, you know, we kind of go all over the place. Um, we live near Ute Valley Park, so that's a good one. And there's so many different trails in different parts of the park that I think people don't know about. I mean, being born and raised here, I didn't know hardly anything I would say about the park system and how much we really have until I started working for parks. Um, Yeah, I agree till I started working for the city. It was like really opened my eyes to different trails and different parks that were 
a little bit lesser known too. Right. Yeah. You don't have to go to Garden of the Gods right. to Although get, I love Garden I love Garden of the Gods, yeah. but yes, you I was, don't. I was going to say that is one of my very one of your favorite places and it just never gets old. You can always find um, a new trail or a new spot or a new overlook or. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, other places like, you know, I think a lot of people don't know about like Blue Stem Open Space, like in the southeast um, part of the city. Um, it just has amazing, you know, bird life and different things like that. Um, I mean, Cheyenne Canyon's always amazing. Red Rock is, uh, I think, becoming more popular. But, you know, Section 16, it's like we live in this city that affords so many amazing resources. And, you know, the TOPS program has added so much to that in the last you know, 25 years. So it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I even think like when I was a kid, like, you know, we were at Palmer park and places like that, but we've added so much since then that, yeah, I feel like my, I'll never be able to see enough of it. That's very true. I have the same feeling. Do other cities have archeologists like we do? Um, or are you few. unique? Yeah. Um, it, it kind of depends on where you're at. Colorado does have one other, and it's in Boulder. Okay. Um, they're set up a little bit differently, so my responsibilities are actually a little more varied than theirs are. Okay. Um, but for the most part, it's like the on the East Coast, like more established cities where um, like Euro-American presence has been for a long time, like Boston and places like that. And they're more, you know, concerned about, um, you know, stuff from like the 1700s that we don't necessarily have here, mm -hmm. um, but we certainly have plenty of archaeology and you know, archaeology is everywhere. People have, if you've been there, people have been there before you. So do you have a favorite part of your job? Um, I love tribal consultation. And what um, is tribal consultation? So we go, um, you know, say for example, like in like garden of the gods is one that we consult about a lot. Um, even when it's not required by that federal nexus, um, say we want to put, uh, a new trail in, um, the, the gateway trail that, that was put in, in the last few years, we did tribal consultation with the Southern Ute and the, the Ute Mountain Ute. And we consult with the official representatives of those tribes who know a lot about uh, tradition and history and, and, you know, really still care for all these places. So I'm always really careful. I think archeology span puts uh, indigenous people in the past and like, nope, still here and still very much stewards of these places. Um, so we asked them, you know, we wanna put a trail in here what do you think of this corridor and, um, you know, get their input in those things and, and see it from their perspective. I mean, they're the original stewards of it. And so I think bringing that in is, is really cool. Um, really important general, too. Yeah. yeah really Archaeology in general. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. You pick up, you know, an arrowhead or a piece of pottery that somebody hasn't touched or seen for, you know, 2000 years. It's, amazing it's incredible yeah and so um and we also have a lot of uh, the ute representatives sometimes at our events and openings of those trails right. or different places um so that they can be part of that since they are part of the process as well right and that's really important right you're doing great work Thanks. i assume it's you fun. like it like right it. yeah it was what you were destined to do <laughs> from all those years ago um well thank you for everything um you do. And Anna is actually one of the many people that we're featuring on the parks and city social media accounts. So you can look for her photo and her story. Um, we're kind of featuring people who exemplify um, why our park system is so incredible. They're helping us mark that 25th anniversary of TOPS. 
and just celebrate what we have here in Colorado Springs. So you can visit coloradosprings.gov slash tops to learn more. And coloradosprings.gov slash parks is also a great place to go, as Anna and I were talking about, to explore all of those different parks and open spaces. And maybe you haven't seen all of them and can find a new one for you or your friends and family. And um, I guarantee you'll find a new one, right? It's almost guaranteed. So thanks, Anna, for all you do and for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please take a moment to rate or subscribe the podcast. And goodbye for now. Thanks so much.